0: study as we always do even though I know it's a holiday weekend and with everything going on with Kathy and the family and stuff we're gonna I know she would want us to carry on and that's what we're gonna do and we'll let all we'll just keep looking at this issue of eternal judgment and the issue here about what we've been talking about and that's really the doctrine of eternal judgment the issue of hell the issue of the lake of fire the issue of the second death and, and so forth. And Luke 16 is where we were last time, so we're just going to start there, just in way of remembrance and remind ourselves of some things, because we're going to talk about th- the issue of hell today in the dispensation of grace. And uh, it's kind of it was interesting in the title, "Hell in the But Now," you know? No. <laughs> hell and the dispensation of grace, but just really because it links into what we were discussing last time. In Luke 16, the Lord peels back the earth and gives us a glimpse down into the spirit realm. We looked in Psalms last time, and we saw that hell is beneath. uh, It's down. In Matthew, the Lord says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, and we looked in Jonah and we saw that it was hell, So will the son of man be in the heart of the earth. So hell is in the center of the earth. And I tried to answer quickly last time why it's in earth and not in the moon and Mars and all that. And that's because the earth belongs to man. And this is where it is. And originally hell was created for the devil and his angels to stop that cosmic rebellion. To put it, well then when that fell, by the way, why was there an angelic rebellion? Because they bought into the lie program. So then when, Satan goes to Adam and Eve, what did man do? Buy into the program. So now man's included in it. And what the Lord does here is he pulls back and gives you a picture of what hell is in time past. And we looked last time, hell has two components in Luke 16. You've got a torment side, right? And then you've got a, a paradise side, Abraham's bosom okay, Abraham's bosom, and, and he be- begins to deal with that issue, and he begins to lay out the doctrine. If you look there at verse 22, Luke 16, 22, and it came to pass that so when the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried and in hell, so hell is the big term, hell he, looked, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. So here's the torment side. That's where that comes from. And then he, he looks across to Abraham's bosom. It's fascinating, the description of the soul here. He can look. He can see. He can hear. He can touch. He can taste. So your soul has a bodily shape, a bodily function to it. It isn't, you know, Halloween with the ghost, and it's a sheet, and no, it's not that at all, it's literally a, it's got a finger, he's got a tongue, he's going to have memory, could you imagine, look at verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, this is a comfort side, okay, this is comfort, this is going to have fire in it, and it's going to it's not a good thing. So we've got this division. Could you imagine spending a lot, the rest of eternity remembering every opportunity you had to trust the gospel of Christ? And you didn't. So not only do you have the torment of a fire, but now you have a, you have a physical anguish, but you also have a mental, an emotional, a, a, a thinking, a remembrance issue. It just goes on and on and on. Verse 26, and besides this, between us there is a great gulf. There's a gulf here that separates the two chambers. It's there. It's it's not there. I'm sorry, they can't move from one side to the other. It fixes it. Because what would happen if you could? The torment side would be unloaded into the bosom side, the paradise side. Get out of this. But no, there it is. And that's why you know that when Christ died at Calvary and he says to the thief, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. He doesn't go to the torment side and then move over because the gulf is there. And the word of God says you can't do that. So in time past, you had two compartments. By the way, this is the lost. This is the saved. David says, You won't leave my soul in hell. Which side would David be on? Paradise side. Job says, even though you're going to plant my body in the ground and the worms are going to have it, I'm going to go to hell here and I'll see my Savior one day in the earth. Save side, lost side. Okay? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, just real quick. This is all reminder. Because we're looking at today in the dispensation of grace. 2 Corinthians 12. So this is time past. Okay? In time past, the lost went to the torment side. The saved go to the paradise side. Abraham's bosom. And they're waiting. And they're waiting for Calvary. When Calvary happens... The redemptive process of Israel is completed. It's brought to fruition. We looked at that last week. Romans 3.25, the forbearance of sins that are past. Uh, I just had it, and I, I second-guessed myself. That's the problem. Yep, should never do that, right? 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. That isn't your past sins. That's Israel. That's time past. Now that Calvary has happened, 2 Corinthians 12.1, something is happening in hell. 12.1. 12.2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. such as one is caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Notice Paul says, so this is, this is Calvary to, that event is in Acts 14. Paul says, when I went up into the third heaven, paradise is there. Now, how it happens, I couldn't tell you. When did it happen? It happens after Calvary, but before Paul, Acts 14 event happens. Somewhere in there, the saved went from the heart of the earth up to the third heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at this. uh, of The heavenly Jerusalem of just men, souls made perfect. They're in heaven now. So, in the but now, Isaiah says that, This is there. Isaiah says that hell has expanded itself. It took over the paradise part. Okay, you with me? You sure? Just check it. Okay, all right. So now today, in the but now, hell is for the lost, period. But the believer... Goes where? The third heaven. And that's what we want to look at. Now, by the way, next week, we're going to do the to come. And we're going to find out that because the torments, uh, we're going to look at Mark 9. And we're going to spend a lot of t- a majority of the time in Mark 9. Luke 16 and Mark 9 are the two big passages in scripture about hell dispensationally. Time past and the to come. Then we're going to deal with Mark 9, and we'll see a shaft burnt in there, and we'll see that there's a shaft where they go out, Isaiah 66, look down in there as a memorial of God's attitude towards sin, and then we'll look over in Isaiah, and we'll see over in the River Euphrates, they, they build a zoo for all of the doleful creatures and stuff, and they put that over there, and, and what's going to happen in the millennial, Millennium is that people will be, able, Gentiles will be able to come out, people will be able to come out, look at that, and go, oh, you don't want that, and then off they go, okay? We'll look at all of that. By the way, hell's the holding tank, and it's going to be deposited into the lake of fire, and in a few weeks we'll talk about all that and where that is, because the lake of fire is not hell. The lake of fire sits outside of the universe, down at the bottom end down there, below the water. And it's the final place, and that's where the great white throne judgment comes in and so forth, and we get ahead of ourselves. Okay, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's talk about today. Let's talk about what's happening to you and I today. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's today. That's the believer. The believer today... You notice it says we are confident. I say and what willing. You have to want this. Come over, hold on to Second Corinthians and come over to Philippians one, because what tends to happen is you need to be willing to leave your body. And there's a thought behind that, a thinking process. Philippians one. Look at verse twenty three for i am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with christ which is far better you have to be willing to leave your body now sometimes people aren't willing to leave their body they fight and they hang on you know some of us are like dude take me now you know be done with so you got to have there's a there's a thinking behind this there's a whole process of understanding this Last week, we talked about, come back with me, hold on here, come back to Genesis 35. Last week, I showed you the passages where the spirit goes back to God, the soul goes into hell, the body goes in the grave. If you're a believer, and it went to the uh, paradise side and so forth, same for you and I, your body goes into that grave, it returns back to the dust. Your soul is going to go into the presence of the Lord. We're going to talk about that here a little more. And your spirit goes back there. But look at Genesis 35. Because when you look at the issue of death, a lot of weird ideas about death. Cease to exist. Soul sleep is the the idea. But But the beggar, the rich man died, and yet he was what? Still existing in the torments, wasn't he? Lazarus died, but yet he still existed, didn't he? So then what's a Bible definition of death? Genesis 35, 18. Here's Rachel. She's going to die after the birth of Benjamin. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing. Parenthesis. For she, what? Died. So what is death then, scripturally? Your soul leaving your body. See? That's what it is. That is all that it is. It doesn't mean, come over to James 2, it doesn't mean that you no longer exist. It doesn't mean that you, you cease to, to function. It doesn't mean any of the things that the theologians dig up and throw at you. It just means your soul left your body. James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. Isn't that interesting? What happens at death? The soul and the spirit do what? Leave the body. The spirit goes back to God, Ecclesiastes 12. The body goes in the grave. The soul is going to go either to hell or to the third heaven, depending on which category you're in. If you're a believer, it's going to go to the third heaven. If you're an unbeliever, you're going to the torment side, you're going to hell, <laughs> that holding container. Come back over to 2 Corinthians 5. And you can stick stuff in 2 Corinthians 5, and because we're going to be bouncing around there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, what happens to you? For we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Your soul goes, to, goes home, goes back to the Lord. So for the believer, in time past, the believer went to hell paradise side abraham's bosom in the in the but now the age of grace we're going directly into the third heaven the lost go to hell that's where they go come over with me to ephesians chapter 5 let's talk about the lost if you're here today and you're lost please don't be lost anymore (laughs) it's a tough place to be you need to know of your eternity you need to know of that eternal security of life everlasting in christ Look at Ephesians 5, look at verse 6. There's a great movement out there amongst believers to not talk about hell. Let's have this be a little soft and don't do this. And how can a loving God do this? Well, the love of God has nothing to do with this. This is talking about the holiness of God, the integrity of God. The holiness, integrity, we call it holiness, it's made up of two components. We're going to see this. It's made up of the righteousness of God this right perfect standard of righteousness, but then it's made up of the justice of God. And what the justice of God does is it looks at the perfect righteousness, that perfect standard, and it says, this doesn't match that, and it nails it. It goes after it. Well, what do we need? We need perfect righteousness. We fall short of the glory of God. So what does the justice of God say? going to nail you until you come to Calvary, where he was made to be sin for us. Why? That we would be made righteous. Now, when the justice of God looks over there at you in Christ, he says, well, he's in Christ, so they have perfect righteousness, so therefore I'm going to go ahead and give them eternal life. Follow that? So we're not talking about just being nice to people, We're talking about here's what the Word of God says. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. By the way, all of that monkiness, universal soul sleep, all that stuff is just vain, empty words. That's what it is. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And these things are in that list starting back up there in verse number 3 and following. Why does the wrath of God come upon men? Upon the children of disobedience. Because they're what? Children of disobedience. They've fallen short. They're sinners. There's no if and buts about it. It's no hypothetical situation. The lost end up in the torments of hell where the wrath of God is poured out upon them. And they get it instantly. They're not waiting. I know they got the great white throne judgment. But hell's the holding tank. Hell's the county jail. The lake of fire's the big house. The federal prison, that's where they're going. They're here for now, but what's happening there? Well, it isn't picnics down by the beach. It's torment. How do you know that? Well, what did the rich man say? Bad news. Now, come back to Romans 1. Because what happens, again, is people tend to not like this, and they don't want to have a loving God. By the way, he is loving, (laughs) He holds you accountable, and he says, I've made a way for you to be righteous. And we have to come his way. In Romans 1, verse 18, how does Paul start? This great biblical foundational book of sound doctrine to you and I. He starts, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The very beginning here has to do with the wrath of God being preached. Because it has to be dealt with. There has to be an answer to it. And what Paul is going to lay out in a courtroom legal document here is he's going to lay out some issues before man that makes man guilty. The conclusion, Romans 3, the conclusion in Romans 3 verse 19... Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. The issue that Paul is laying out in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is the issue of the guilt of all man. We're proving all are sinners, verse 9. We've laid the case out. God has presented the case Boom, you're guilty. And because of that, the wrath of God is revealed upon all of that. That means if you're lost today in the age of grace and you die, you're going to go to hell. That's where you're going. There's no, I mean, I wish there was a a mechanism out. Oh, but wait a minute, there is. It's called Calvary. Okay? Now look at Romans 2. Again, the justice of God demands that the perfect righteous standard of God not be violated. And sin violates it. So God sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he takes care of that. In Romans 2, really verse 1 to 16, the Apostle Paul lays out seven... Issues about the judgment of God. And he lays out how God's justice judgment operates. Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do so, such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. That's man's whole thing. That's all religion is. That's all theology is, is to get around the judgment of God. But how, the first issue is God's judgment is according to what? Truth. Absolute standard of righteousness, of right versus wrong. White hat versus black hat. However you got to think about it, this is the truth. And I know what people do. There's no absolute truth. Absolutely. What? Okay. You know, <laughs> that doesn't know. There's what? There is, ab- there is an absolute truth. Then the second judgment, verse 4. <clears throat> verse... Uh, Verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God's judgment is according to the issue of accumulated guilt. You're just piling it on. Okay? You guys have all heard that they... They'll they'll go into a courtroom and they'll negotiate the the settlement down from a felony to a misdemeanor. Nope, it's a felony upon felony upon felony. There's no negotiating. You're guilty. Well, but wait a minute. Nope, you're guilty. Period. Verse 6 to 10. Look at verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his what? Deeds. The justice of God, the judgment of God. It's going to work according to man's works, their activity. We'll get over there in a few weeks and look at the great white throne judgment. And the books are open according to what they did. Now what do you do today in the age of grace? Well, you trust. You believe, don't you? See, what do most of the unsaved world do? Religion of some sort activities verse 10 sorry verse 11 for there is no respecter of persons with god and that's the 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 number next here it's without respect of person well but wait a minute i'm just such a good guy i gave to the church but nope guilty you're not my son guilty 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 verse 13 Well, verse twelve, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. He's not doesn't matter where you're at. You've violated the perfect righteousness standard. The judgment, the justice of God will nail you. Verse 13. For not for now watch verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law, or a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Notice that big parenthesis there. Because the judgment of God is going to be according to the light and understanding that you've received. So if you've been around church, okay, what have you been been exposed to? You've been exposed to the word of God somewhere along the line. And you still deny it. Guess what? That's a point in the judgment. You had it. You had an opportunity. Yeah, but I didn't know. Doesn't matter. You had it. You had an opportunity. You could have asked. You could have did. You could have believed. You could have. See that? How The judgment of God does away with the, well, what if? No. It's black and white. Verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, According to my gospel, the God's judgment is according to whose gospel? Paul's gospel. I, hear, I, I heard the other day a lady on TV, and she gave Paul's gospel clear as a bell until she said, you got to walk down the aisle to receive it. Whoa. I'm like, shut up. You've done good. <laughs> you just blew it. You know what's going to happen? I don't know if she's saved or not, but if she's not, she's going to be there, and she's going to be judged based on that. Verse 16, also, the judgment, it reaches into the secrets of men's heart. That is completely exposed. So the lost, the Christ rejecters, the Christ deniers, they are not let off the hook. They're held guilty. And this section starts in verse one, "Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that what? that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. There's that little moralizer, Well, I live a better life than you." So I'm good. No, you're not good. And here's seven reasons why. He's going to nail you. By the way, verse 17, he talks, pulls, now he's going to answer the, Behold, thou art called a Jew. Uh Uh-oh, now we're God's people. And you know what he says? We're going to nail you too because you're not in Christ, which is how today works. Okay? So today, the believer, I mean the, the lost, where are they going? They're judged to hell, to the torment That has expanded out here. Okay? Now go back to 2 Corinthians 5. What about the believer? In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul gives the details for the believer. When they die, what's happening. And this is a great conversation. People always want to know what's going to happen. So if you're in Christ and you die... You're you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, right? Verse 8, clear. So let's pray and go home. No, (laughs) got to look at this. Go back up into chapter 4, start at verse 6, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For all things are for your sake, and the abundant grace, I'm sorry, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What happens to this old outward guy? He wears out. He's, it's going away. You guys understand that. It perishes. The twin's birthday was this week, weekend. I have kids that are 27. I'm like, oh, yeah yeah. Linda goes, does it make you feel old? I go, not really, but I know I am because <laughs> I can't do <laughs> I hurt, you know, it's like, whoa, wow, okay, well, why, because the old man does what, the outward man does what, it it, it gets gets old, but the inward man is what, the inward man is sitting there going, you can do it, go, 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 you know, (laughs) Uh, we had uh, the AC guys here, and we have pigeons on the roof, and he's like, you got to get those away from that, or you're going to have trouble, so I go, OK, what do we need to do? He goes, well, put chicken wire around the base of it. Don't put the spikes, because that doesn't help. Put chicken wire. So you know what I'm doing this weekend, this past weekend? I'm up there on the roof with chicken wire, zip-tying it, too, because I, it's, like it's got to get done, because I mean they're everywhere. They're making a big old mess. And I'm like, you know what? It's a little warm up here. <laughs> so then I'm like you know I have great respect for the roofers now because it was hot and Linda's like are you done yet this was Friday I go well I am now because I'll come back tomorrow so I went came back yesterday and it looks like Rick did it you know it's not neat it's not straight doesn't look like Keith did it, it looks like Rick did it you know why because Rick did it you know <laughs> and it's like okay but the birds aren't underneath there and so forth anyway why because the old the at, inward man was like you can do it you can get that done just go get this and this and you can and I'm up there in the old my my out my outer man says rick what are you dumb you are stupid you hurt your feet are hurting it's hot you can't and, and and then i wore shorts with no knee guards or anything so now i'm like all right well how do i do that so i had a handkerchief so i going lay, lay that down under one knee and you know i was a sight to see you would a laugh the neighbors had a good laugh you know but what is it that's what happens right for the light affliction Which is, but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you know what? What an attitude to think about death and dying. It's a temporal thing here. Our eternity, our eternal life started the moment you trusted Christ. And it doesn't just go, oop, and over. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says it twice about himself, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. There was no, you know, have you ever had a glitch in the TV program, and you're going, all right, what did I miss? You know, never done that. You should do that sometimes. It's really interesting because you don't miss anything. It's just, there's no glitch. You move from this environment right into that, and it's like being at home. So he says, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And here Paul begins to describe the state, the intermediate state, of a believer who has been absent from the body and is present with the Lord. But we haven't been to the rapture yet. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. At the resurrection, do you know what you get? The new body. That's what you get. This corruption puts on incorruption. This mortal puts on immortality. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're all changed. He takes this old vile body, and then he gives us a new body, fashioned like the glorious body. That happens at the day of redemption, the day of, we call it the rapture, the day of the gathering together, the great reunion of the body of Christ as a whole for the first time in history. We don't get this when we die. When we die, what happens? Our body goes in the ground and our soul and spirit go back to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what happens. But then what's our condition? What are we doing? Well, we are, we're going to put off this old house and we're going to get ready for the new house. And that God has given us, again, when we gather together, the day of redemption. Now watch verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, based on chapter 4, what's going to happen to the outward man? It's going to perish away. It's gone. We have a a building of God, a house not made with hands, notice, eternal in the heavens. It's going to last forever forever. So this new body, this house, notice the terminology he uses. The tabernacle, the house. In Israel's program, where did God meet them? In the tabernacle, in the temple. The temple was called the house of God. David says, I'm going to build you a house. He goes, no, you're not. Your son's going to do it. But "It's it's where you gather. The household of faith the house of God, the whole family, all of this terminology, and it's eternal. We're going to be completely and totally equipped to operate in the heavenly places forever. It's in heaven. A Jew would never say, I'm going to die and go to heaven. He claims Job, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to see my Savior on the earth. You and I say what? Nope, we belong to the heavenly places, so we're going to heaven. Verse 2, for in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Paul describing the body, the house, as being clothed upon. It's as clothing for your soul. You think about clothing. Why do you put clothes on? To cover up, right? Please cover up. You cover up. Your soul needs a covering. Your soul needs an ability to interact with its environment. How do I do that? I do it with the body. How can you interact? How can you touch things, eat things, and and, uh, play with things and deal with things? Because you have a body that's earthy. We're going to have one of the heavens. Verse 3, if so be if, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Wait a second. We're naked. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you're naked. And how? No, no body yet. Your soul is just there. Is your soul naked in the resurrection? No, you get the body. So Paul's talking about the status of absent from the body and present with the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, what are you? You're a soul sitting there. Nobody yet. It isn't time to go do the work in the heavenly places. You're waiting. You're in a, you're in a holding pattern, if you will. You don't have sin to control the clock. So you, you know, Paul doesn't sit there and go, man, it's been 2,500 years. What's going on here? You know? He ain't not saying that at all. Why? He's in the presence of the Lord, his Savior. He's just basking in that. See, your soul. Verse 3, we shall not be, uh, I'm sorry, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Right now, your soul has no body in this state. Verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed. Now look at that very carefully because every time, every now and then we get this, oh, I just wish I'd die and get the new body. Paul says that is, you know that that is the most, that is an improper attitude. It is improper thinking because who are you? You're an ambassador for Christ. You got a job to do here. What are we to do? Back up in chapter 14, the inner man's going to be renewed day by day. In this light affliction, what does it do? It works for us. So instead of sitting over here crying for a new body, let's use our renewed mind status and think about what's going on and use that so that it'll work in us a more exceeding and eternal way to glory. So instead of saying, oh, I need a new body and just, Lord, come back today. Please come back today. And boo-hooing, get up, put your big boy pants on, and go to work as the ambassador for Christ. Because you know what's going to happen? It's appointed unto man, what? Once to die, then the judgment, and it's coming your way. Let's go. Let's get on with it. And that's what Paul's getting at. The Corinthians didn't want that. The Corinthians wanted it easy. He's like, no. Look at verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Yes, what do we want? You know, Paul, I don't want to die. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. He says it. But he says it, but then he, that thing in Philippians, hold on here. Look at Philippians 1. Philippians 1. Look at verse 23 again. Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. Well, obviously, because what does he want to do? He wants to be with Christ. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. What does he, in that our, we have that same thing, don't we? Be here, you know, come on. And having, verse 25, this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Look at his attitude. We all get there. Man, just, Lord, take me home now. I'm sick, I'm tired, it's done. But Paul says, okay, you got that? But, man, that's not the attitude. The attitude is, is, let's go over here and let's get some work done while we can. Because one day, you're not going to be able to do that. One day, you will be in the bed not able to get up. If the Lord tarries, you will be in that situation that everyone eventually finds themselves in. But for now, let's get on going. 2 Corinthians 5. As he describes this, Paul says, Man, you know what I want to be? I want to be clothed upon. I want that new body. I want what's going to swallow up life. I want that to be that. Verse 5. Now, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of his spirit, of the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Ephesians 1:13, you trusted, you heard the gospel. The word of your salvation. You trust him. The father seals you with the spirit. The what? The earnest of the inheritance. You know why you know that this is the case? That this isn't a hypothetical? This isn't some theology borne off by Paul on the back end of a donkey somewhere, traipsing across town? You know why? Because what does God's word say in verse 5? Where are we confident because God's word says this is the condition. God's word says this is what's to happen. The earnest of the spirit. This is God's word. on So when we're absent from the body in the presence of the Lord, what's our condition? What are we doing? We're waiting for something, aren't we? We're waiting for that new body. We're waiting for... That mortality might be swallowed up of life. We're waiting for the day of redemption. We're waiting for the day of resurrection. We're waiting for the gathering together, the rapture. However you need it to click in your mind, that's what we're waiting for. But we're not doing it over here, tapping our feet going, come on, Lord, let's go. We're in his presence, and we're waiting. Verse 6, Therefore... I love that. Therefore, we are always confident knowing. Isn't that wonderful? That's while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. What do we know, folks? Based upon the Word of God, what do we know? While I'm here, I'm not there. Isn't that such deep theological thinking? It's just, we need to write eight volumes on that. No, that's pretty simple, isn't it? But what I want you to catch is always confident, knowing. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Romans 15, where do we get our comfort? From the scripture. What great comfort to have in the middle of the details of life, as a believer, to what? To know. We're confident. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what verse 18 of chapter 4 is talking about. The things that we see are what? Temporal. We looked at Kathy yesterday. That bo- her body lay in there. It's temporal. It's a temporary thing. Your soul in e- is eternal. You got an eternity here. How do you know that? We walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident. Oh, there's that confident word again. Based on what? Based on the word of God to us. Today, from our apostle, the apostle Paul, in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace, to the church, the body of Christ, the believer is going to be absent from the present world and present with the Lord. It's to be absent and to be present. We're confident, I say, and willing rather. Boy, are we not willing. <laughs> Boy, that's what we're looking forward to, isn't it? To be. We're willing rather to be. Absent from the body and to be. Present with, notice that, to be. That's the verb that denotes the state of being. Being. Now, watch this in that verse. I'm willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with. Notice how that verse started. We are. You exist here. Take your last breath. You exist there. To be the state of being. You don't cease to exist. You what? you exist. You're here now. As we saw Kathy and her breathing's labored, and they're doing everything to take care of her pain and so forth to make her comfortable. She's what? She's right there. But the moment she takes her last breath, where is she? In the presence of the Lord. She didn't stop existing. Her body lays there on the bed to be then handled for the grave. And yet, what does she do? She's boom. She's there. We're in His presence. And I'll be honest with you, folks, that's just what it, you are. You're in His presence. When a believer dies, their soul, spirit goes to be with God, the third heaven. But that isn't the end of the things for you and I. Okay? The rapture happens, the resurrection happens, we get our new body. And then what do we get to do? We get to go placed. And that, By the way, that's what verse 9 and 10 are about. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Wait a minute. I thought we were accepted of him. You are. But is your labor accepted of him? 1 Corinthians 3, he lays out, well, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Notice it's not by his body or with his body. It's what? In. What's in your body? You are. Your soul. Your inner man. What'd you do in there? First Corinthians 3. Did you build wood, hay, and stubble? Or did you build gold, silver, and precious stone? Did you build human effort, human wisdom, human religion? Or did you build wisdom and understanding and knowledge? What did you build? You're gonna be accountable whether it's good or bad. Well, if it's good, you're going to go on. If it's bad, it's burnt up and sent away. So you, we've got something to do. We get our new body. Then we go into, we go to work <laughs> in the heavenly places, in the governmental structure of the heavenly places, the principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, all of that. We go to work. We're working for him. Best job you'll ever have. You don't get up Monday. I saw a thing about how, ser- how serious do I take my coffee? Seriously, very seriously. You don't have that problem. Now, you'll have coffee, but you won't have that coffee problem, okay? Coffee is the Baptist beer. You know that, right? Anyway, okay. You see, folks, the believer has a future hope. That unbeliever, they don't have that. They're sitting over here in the torments, and they're being reminded of the time that they walked by the desk, the little table there at the swap meet and said, no, thank you. They're reminded of the time when they walked by the swap meet and says, oh, I know everything, thank you very much. Really? Okay. They are reminded of the time when they ignored you, when you talked to them. Constant persecution, torment. For you and I, we have a We have a chance. (laughs) We have a future hope. And if we had a choice between here or there, where would we go? Let's go there. But we're left here because we have a job to do. In time past, hell had two compartments. The lost sitting the torment side. The believer in Abraham's bosom taken off into the third heaven after Calvary prior to Paul. Acts 14, events. Today, hell has enlarged itself, Isaiah 5. The, bel- the lost today go right to hell. The believer today goes right into the presence of the Lord. The ages to come, completely different ballgame. And if you do not rightly divide your word, when you look at the doctrine of judge- eternal judgment, and hell, and the lake of fire, and the second death, you will break your spiritual neck and you'll cause trouble in your life. So, you have to have that clear. So, next week we'll do the ages to come. We'll see that. But just catch what's happening today with the believer you're absent, present. Not cease to exist. Don't, I'm not waiting for the rapture. Nope, you're here and you're there. And what is there is you, your soul the real you, and you're waiting for that new body so we can go to work in the heavenly places. But we're waiting. We have to wait. And that'll be a patiently. I think when Paul says patiently waiting for him, <laughs> for Thessalonians, I think he's in that condition because we sure don't patiently wait, do we? But yet we are, we are too. So just catch the differences. And again, next week when we look at Mark 9, we'll see even more differences the most wonderful thing you can know is where you're going to spend eternity don't spend it in the lost category, spend it in the believer category and all you have to do to do that is just simply trust the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that and that alone you don't have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, he already knows you're a sinner you know you're a sinner You just have to trust that he provided the answer for the justice of God that demands an answer for that sin. The moment you do that, the moment you trust, the Father reaches in and he blesses you with all spiritual blessings. He makes you complete. He seals you with the Spirit. The Spirit comes in and circumcises you and regenerates your spirit, dead spirit, So you can communicate with with the Godhead through the Word of God. He then baptizes you, identifies you into the church, the body of Christ. And then he comes in and he seals you and says, nobody can get you out of me. No matter what comes, you're good. And the best part is if I'm absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. And that's the most wonderful thing ever. No matter what happens in life, folks, That is something that we, that's why Paul says it twice. We are confident. Because Paul's under tremendous persecution. He's running for his life. And he says, you know what? If they get me, they get me. But I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not quitting. I'm moving forward. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we just thank you for your death on the cross for what it means to you and to the Godhead. That satisfying payment of the justice, the requirement. And Lord, I thank you for that. We thank you for that. And we thank you for the revelation of what all of that means through the pen of the Apostle Paul and that you've made that available to all men. And that it is simply, we walk by faith and not by sight. Not any more complicated than that, as that is not complicated at all. And everything, the Lord, that we say and we do, we do it for your honor and for your glory. That might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.